Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back and delighted to also welcome Wendy Harris back. Wendy is the president of the North Carolina Association of Realtors. NC Realtors is a nonprofit trade association, which was founded in 1921 and uh, had an initial membership of 135 realtors. It's sort of branched out a little bit now, and today the membership is more than 55,000 real estate professionals representing 45 local associations statewide. So, uh, Wendy, uh, welcome back to the program. We we enjoyed your last program so much. We felt like it was uh, uh, interesting enough that uh, we would get a update on where we stand because the last time we talked and the present time, circumstances have changed a good bit. Interest rates are rising. The housing market has probably changed, and we just felt like we needed to get an update because so many, many people, of course, are either homeowners or planning to be homeowners. And if they're not, they're they're renting. And that, of course, is also a part of the real estate market. So, Wendy, anyway, I've been talking too much. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I'm just happy to be here. It is. It's hard to believe it's already 2023. Uh, you know, a couple of quick updates. On December 31st at midnight, I got to stick on a ribbon on my chest that said past president. So so I at midnight on the 31st, I became past president of, or one minute past, the past president of NC Realtors. Uh, but I'm still in the leadership team and all of that. So thank you so much for having me back on the show. And and our membership since the last time we talked, I can't believe it, but it still continues to grow. We're over 57,000 strong at this point. I mean, at some point that's got to give because, you know, the real estate market has slowed down so much. So I imagine the next time we do a segment like this or, or whoever you invite on, I can't imagine those numbers will continue to grow from an industry perspective, I have to imagine they have to start going backwards at some point. And, and uh, my little magic eight ball tells me that will be sometime during this year. But but we only know once we get there when we start looking back. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where we are from an industry perspective. Incredibly strong. But you're right. The industry has slowed down. Interest rates have gone up. Um, they've done exactly you know what they were supposed to they were they're designed to slow down inflation and the market and of course the real estate industry took a big hit with it as well so it certainly has and of course uh supply and demand is in effect and uh, the supply of homes that were available the last time you were on was uh, very small and uh, uh you were telling us stories about people who were buying homes that they had never seen, uh, buying of sight unseen and so forth. So uh, let's start with that question, I guess. What is the market today? Uh, Is it back to a more normal range of the inventory that's out there? Well, nationally, the market has come back to about a three-month supply of inventory on the residential resale side. Um, which is where we'll pay a bit of attention to while we're talking today, just because new construction is going to be supplanting the inventory and we just need more and more of it. But um, but the residential resale homes, we've got about a three-month supply, a balanced market, a typical balanced market is about a six-month supply. So demand is still high and inventory is still down, even though it feels like the market has just stop so much, we still have a low inventory situation. We're not as much dealing with 10, 12, 40, 57, you know, offers on each home anymore. 
Um, but price values still continue to rise. So it is still a supply and demand issue. It's just slowed down, but it hasn't reversed at all. So uh, how long do you think it will take to get back to that six-month supply? Is that a 12-month situation, 18 months? Or how long will, will it take? I don't, unless we forcibly continue to slow the market down, okay, and, and then I don't see us getting back there until we start um, providing more inventory. North Carolina specifically, I mean, let's just focus on North Carolina. We are one of the top states for ingress. I mean, people are moving here from all over the place, businesses, industries, um, everything. So, so that is not going to change. And if we can't build and provide more inventory, um, I, I don't know that we're going to get to a balanced market unless it's, in, unless it's forced through policy or something, but that's not healthy. That's That doesn't mean we're actually providing the housing that needs to be provided. You know, forcing that to happen isn't a good thing necessarily. Well, in North Carolina, as you said, is uh, is an interesting state. We've got some of the areas, about 20 or 25 counties that are just growing just as rapidly as probably they can uh, can stand. And then we've got another 75 or so counties that are either flat or maybe even declining. And so I guess when we're talking about the supply, it depends on where you are and, and uh, what point in time. Yeah, I, I was kind of curious about uh, when people move. I, I'm just guessing, and uh, this is, uh, I guess, a calculated guess, that December is probably not a month where a lot of people choose to move because of the holiday season. You know, uh, it's a little bit of an interesting thing. Uh, of course, the spring and summer naturally is the high season. Uh, we see a rebound around that mid-year period of schools in a lot of areas. So it's going to be a little bit area for area. Um, but, you know, particularly down in my market, I'm down in the Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, Fort Liberty, soon-to-be area, Um you know, Cumberland Moore, um, Harnett, Hoke, uh, that area, we tend to get a bit of a boost, historically speaking, um, around this mid-year school. Because if you can't move your child in, during the summertime, then the next best time to do, them, do it is the, in the middle of the school year. And, um, and so sometimes we do see a bump up around that holiday season. I don't know that we'll see that bump up quite so much this year just because of the interest rate situation and stuff. Um, but, you know, in a couple of months, we'll get to look back and see if it happened. I, I'm I'm not really thinking there'll be much of one this year. I'm still trying to get accustomed to the term Fort Liberty. This is going to take a, a bit of time instead of Fort Bragg. And my family's lived here since 1983. I, I have a, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's going to take some adjusting for sure. What is the average, is there such a thing as an average, uh, I'm sure there is such a thing as an average, but is it is it realistic and, and, and does it really tell us what's going on when we talk about the price of an average house? Um. No, I mean, when we talk about the the average price house, what really the lessons we're getting from that is that housing is becoming less and less affordable, and in becoming less affordable, it's becoming less attainable. So we look at a few factors. We look at the resale price of houses, which we've seen incredible appreciation, which is is good and bad. 
Um, but but it really was appreciating at a very, very high rate. The the raise in the interest rates has tampered that a little bit. And whereas house values are still going up, they're rising at a much slower rate right now. Nationally, it's at about 3% or so at the moment. So that's, so that's better. Um, when you talk about new construction and the average house price, what we're really seeing is not just appreciation, but the inability to build uh, affordably in attainable ways, because it's not just about the market value of the house, it's the cost of supplies, it's the cost of um, labor and, and just the general cost of, uh, you know, infrastructure and everything that's going into it. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that that I like to look at is how the dynamics of home buyers and home sellers are changing over the years. And that gives us a real indication of what those house prices are doing to people. And one of the most shocking indicators for me is um, our percentage of first time home buyers being active in the market is down to about 26 percent. Um, the last time it was anywhere close to being this low was back in the 1980s. And it was 30% then, it was higher. Um, it, it, it's reached a high of about 52% over some years. So we're we're at half of what the high is of first-time home buyers in the market. So to me, that's a real indication of them saying, whoa, 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 whoa. There's, we're, we're just going to, it's not that we don't want a home. It's just that we can't afford it right now. So these, uh, uh, this market then is turning to apartment rentals. Is that correct? You know, well, yes, we, we're, I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of rentals, um, but that's still a housing unit being provided. Uh, one of the other statistics we see really jumping up is the statistic of people who are buying their first home never having rented a property before. And that's going up exponentially just in the last few years. And so those are, when I hear of that, I hear of, you know, the stories of kids living with their parents until they're, you know, almost 30. Well, okay, that's going to make sense. That may be something that we start seeing even more of moving forward if it means that's the only way that they can get into their first home that they own. Um, that may be part of what we're seeing. Um, the, the big concern I have over rentals is when you have first-time home buyers that aren't getting into the market because of affordability and they're forced to be in the rental market, it means that they're paying higher rent because rents have gone up. Everything's gone up. Utilities, the cost of food, the cost of fuel, you know, so their whole cost of living has gone up. So how much longer does that keep them out of that first-time home buyer market? If we have first-time home buyers who are delayed a decade of getting into the market, that interrupts almost an entire generation of people becoming homeowners. It, it's that, that's actually one of the things that keeps me awake at night. I, I, not to be all doom and gloom, but it makes me think about what does that do 20, 30 years from now from generational wealth and building you know, secure families, economically speaking. Of course, part of that also is uh, that people are living longer. So consequently, some of this is just moving uh, uh, the the time down, so to speak, I guess. Uh, people are basically getting married later, having families later uh, mm -hmm. than uh, they did maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So I guess all of this is uh, rolled into one when, when you start 
factoring in the consideration of when a first time homeowner gets into the market. You're exactly right. And, uh, you know, before we were seeing with a lot of first time home buyers, a lot of single women going out and just buying homes, you know, several years ago, that was a big trend where we saw that as being one of the unusual statistics that hadn't really been apparent in um, in the real estate industry before. And so, sure, the, the trends are going to change from time to time, most definitely. People are also working longer in life. So we see a lot of second-time home investments and stuff happening in later years. I mean, I think the average age for that right now is 59 years of people being 59 years old on average of buying a second home or making you know real estate investment decisions. Well, it's it's uh, sort of you know it's ever changing situation, and I guess it, uh, that will go on and on. We want to talk a little bit about the effects of inflation on the cost of a new home and construction, and how that will turn out to be uh, a factor in in this entire real estate market uh, that we're looking at for the year two thousand twenty three. Uh, our guest is Wendy Harris. She is now the past president of the North Carolina. Wilters Association, and we will be back to talk more about housing, availability, affordability, the supply, and so forth when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our topic this week is housing in North Carolina. Housing availability, affordability, the cost of new construction, and trends in real estate. Uh, and of course, as we have talked about, uh, the ever-changing situation in the economy and how it affects those factors. Wendy Harris is our guest. She is the, now the past president, as of January 1st, of the North Carolina Association of Realtors, which represents 57,000 realtors across the state of North Carolina. Uh, Wendy, you know, we were talking in, uh, a few moments ago about availability of homes. When you have counties like Chatham County and that area where, where a, a new manufacturing plant like VinFest, the automobile manufacturer, is promising 7,000 jobs. How does a county like that uh, suddenly be able to have the housing 
That's one question. And number two, how big an area will that uh, that uh, plant affect? In other words, how far will people drive to work in the Chatham area uh, when Benfest and, and other uh, plants of that nature open? Um, you know, that's a really great question. That's happening right along the road that's now being called the core, right? The 421 headed up basically goes between Sanford and Greensboro. And there's the Venfast is coming. A lot of other things are coming on the north end of that. There's the to Toyota battery factory. There's um, right in Greensboro, you've got the boom um airplanes and i think there's one more mega site left right now along that corridor so um that will impact everything between fayetteville and greensboro it, it's going to impact everything along that way um and, and so anything between anyone and any organization and municipality and county between fayetteville and greensboro really needs to have their eyes open. Um, and I think they are. I think they're really, um, really jumping to, um, you know, jumping up and saying, okay, what, what, might, what might we be missing? What do we need to pay attention to? Because you can't just house 7,000 people like, like you, like you mentioned. Um, one of the interesting things I'm finding that, that makes me happy is that you've got counties cross-collaborating in order to bring the infrastructure in to enable these type these types of housing projects to take place. Because you don't just suddenly, you can't build as fast the infrastructure, the sewer and water plants that you need, the 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 in the industry, the facilities, the industrial facilities are going to be built much faster than what a municipality or a county could build a water and sewer facility. And so what they're doing is they're sharing um, facilities and running lines, even across counties, um, to, to, to in order to facilitate the support of those types of um, neighborhoods and communities that will be able to house them. It, it's, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to happen that fast. I wish I had an answer, Don. I really do. I, I sometimes just think, you know, I was having a conversation the other day and um, I sit on the Fayetteville Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, which basically they're in charge of planning for anything that walks, rides a bike, a train, a plane, an automobile, car, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we were talking about a light rail study up to Raleigh. I was like, you are so far behind, you know, where you're decades behind on that one. You need a light rail study to Greensboro because we need to start being able to get people to work up there. <laughs> Let's plan it while we're redeveloping that into an interstate because that's going to happen. 421 is going to be a new interstate. Yeah. Well, you know, almost all the economists that we talked to, uh, the, 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 one of the words that we have not mentioned so far is the word R, recession. Uh, that is also in the news, but most people that we talk to are saying that, uh, one, if we do have a recession, either nationally or locally, it will be a short one. And secondly, there are areas in North Carolina probably where we won't even notice it at all because of all this uh, demand for housing uh, related to these new jobs, because apparently none of the jobs that we have seen so far are announcing any delays in their construction. And uh, uh, they they are moving right ahead. 
So that uh, puts another interesting factor out there. So the R word is just not one that I'm hearing much about. What about you? Um, you know, I'm hearing it from um, certain people, just like you are, certain places and directions. And, uh, you know, I won't deny that we're not in some type of recession or have some type of um, recession-like things happening around us, but it is not typical. And there's so many contrary elements to it that um, I'm hearing the same thing you are. And I'm, I, I, I feel the same way. It's just when you've got such a strong job market, um, you know, in, in what otherwise might be a recession, it, they, it just fights against it, right? And so um, I think that uh, that definitely we should see we should see interest rates starting provided appreciation doesn't I mean excuse me inflation doesn't take off again we should see interest rates settle down around six percent in the first quarter of this year and I think that along with the strong job um, job markets that we've still got job demand that we've still got that. Um, then I think it'll be a soft recession as well. And and like you said, there's certain parts of North Carolina that won't even notice. Well, you know, one of the things that I guess is uh, very interesting to me is always the fact that when we talk about a new plant like, say, VinQuest coming in, saying they're going to employ 7,000 people, there's a multiplier effect because that industry is going to uh, uh, induce other people who supply them with their supplies uh, what's the factor you're hearing or that you deal with that uh, the multiplier effect, I guess, is the question I'm asking of when a plant announces a 7,000 employee situation? What does it really turn out to be before it's all over? Well, if we've got 7,000 jobs and, I mean, for every, you know, 1.5 people you're looking at them needing housing as far as those jobs go no. so you know you, the multiplier not only of those jobs but the people building the plant and then the people building the housing for the people to live in and then all the people in the service industry making food for those people making um dinners or or servicing you know uh grocery stores or gas stations or anything else they need it, it is. I mean, the multiplier effect of it is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that multiplies out as far as financial impact. And I'm sure they've run all of those studies and that information is out there. But it's it's huge. It's it's huge. How do the municipalities cover the cost? Because obviously their tax base is going to go up with all these new homes and uh, the uh, tax value of the plants, but that's over a period of time, uh, the infrastructure cost comes up front. So where do counties like Chatham County and, and uh, well, any of the counties that are experiencing growth, where do they come up with the money for the infrastructure? So some of them are doing it through working with the counties that are next to them, because you're right, a lot of those areas don't actually have sewer systems or water systems that would be able to supply these types of plants or the housing for them. And, and that that is one of the things that I'm just really proud of North Carolina for. A lot of the counties in in this particular region have come together and said, you know what, we'll we'll run, we have an excess, you know, we've got a plant over there or a processing center over there that's under capacity. 
will run some of those lines into your area. They're figuring it out and they're really working together to make it happen because they've got to figure it out now. They don't have time to figure out a bond a year from now in order to raise the money in order to, you know, hopefully get it done in the next two or three years. There's just not, not time for that. Well, down the road, of course, this will be a boom for these counties because, as we said, their tax base will go up considerably. Uh, but uh, as we also point out here, and as you pointed out, there is an upfront cost, and that's something that has to be taken in consideration. Mm-hmm. So uh, are there uh, uh, other counties? I, I, I want to get back to the question I asked you. How far will people drive to work at a place like VinQuest? Is that uh, 40 miles, 50 miles? Uh, oh, gosh. I, I don't know how to count in miles. I'm one of, you know, I, I, I'm one of those Southern people. I count in time frame. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say people, I mean, already they drive a mile, an hour and a half, however long that takes. That's from Fayetteville to Raleigh and people commute that distance already. So I think people would drive an hour and a half for a good paying job, probably just about anywhere. Tell me, as, as you deal with customers, how many people are excited about living in a metropolitan town like Raleigh or Durham or Greensboro or Charlotte versus uh, the charm of a smaller community like, say, Southern Pines or Sanford, for example? Uh, I, I'm sure that uh, the interests of these folks vary, and some people actually choose the smaller towns and some choose the larger towns. How does that work out? You know, we we saw during COVID an exodus from metropolitan areas towards more suburban and rural areas, and and that was COVID-driven. But then, since then, we've seen the drive continue for affordability reasons. So there is always a desire for, I would say, you, you know, we're seeing younger families that are willing to move up to 50 miles away from where their core is. It used to be people would only move five or 10 miles away, which really kept them close to city centers. But in the last year, just in the last year, we've seen that suddenly jump up to people saying, we'll move 50 miles away. Well, 50 miles away gets you right into a rural area. And, and that's a very new trend um, where people are willing to uproot and create I mean, you have to rebuild your entire coral, your friends, you know, where you enjoy going to eat and hang out, uh, you know, five, 10 miles, you don't have to change that much, but 50 miles, you have to change it all. So that's a new thing that we're seeing. And, um, and, and so you're seeing a lot of um, younger families that are willing to relocate for affordability reasons and, and raise their families or moving back to where they might have parental support. We're also seeing people moving back to areas where their elder parents might be, so they're not having to house them as well. A lot of this is affordability driven. If you can get help taking care of your children, or if you can save money by not putting your parents into private care, these are some decisions that are really driving what home what home buyers are doing. Do you see a uh, indication that people are more comfortable coming, uh, uh, working at home versus uh, uh, working in an office? Uh, mm-hmm. Is that uh, softening any or do people really like working at home? Uh, I think people are very comfortable working at home. 
in industries that can support it. Um, I really do. We're, we're seeing that. I don't think that's going to change for uh, probably ever. Um, and I think companies are still figuring out how to do a blend of that. For some industries, it's going to work, and from so and for other ones, it's just not. But yes, I don't think that will ever change. I think that'll grow stronger. People willing to work from a home office. We're seeing in our company that uh, most of our folks actually uh, enjoy working with other folk, and we're I, I would say probably eighty percent of our folks had rather work in the office rather than at home. That's just I guess maybe our industry. I don't know. I'm with Our you. guest is Wendy Harris. She's the past president of the North Carolina Association of Realtors. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, North Carolina's retirement state and the effect that that has on the real estate market in North Carolina. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain sleet and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the past president of the North Carolina Association of Realtors. Past president as of January 1st, but still uh, very interested in the uh, uh, the, the uh, entire realtor market and uh, has been a very interesting guest on one previous program. And so we wanted to bring her back to talk about housing trends and what's going on and the changes that have been brought about because of inflation and higher interest rates and all that sort of thing. But one other thing that's happening in North Carolina, in addition to North Carolina getting a lot of new jobs from new industry like VinFest and others, Boom and Greensboro and, and the Toyota battery plant and so forth, there's, there's growth all over the, uh, the Crescent area. But North Carolina is also uh, getting to be quite a market for retirement. And, uh, of course, you are in the Fayetteville area, Wendy, and, of course, a lot of the military people have fond memories of North Carolina, and many of them choose to retire in North Carolina when they leave the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, we've got the beautiful mountains and the beautiful coast. So North Carolina is an ideal place for retirement. So how does that affect the real estate market, and, and what are the trends right now in that area? So retirement has always been an interesting thing, particularly for North Carolina. And going back, you know, decades ago, 
um, looking at certain pockets. Uh, we'll think uh, Pinehurst Southern Pines, think of um, um, up in the mountains, lots of different mountain areas, Asheville in particular, have have attracted a lot of outer state retirees. And um, in those markets, you can see... It's okay if you want to call them Yankees. It's okay. I actually like calling them halfbackers more than Yankees. They're all the people who from up north who went to Florida thinking it was the greatest thing on earth and then decided it was too hot and too windy and came halfway back to the north and landed in North Carolina. That's a great term. I like that. Yeah, yeah well, I love our, I love our halfbackers. But in those yeah. specific areas, historically looking over the last, you know, 20 to 40 years, the impact of retirement on those areas has actually made those very expensive areas to live in, right? In, in those yeah. areas, it's sometimes hard for the natives who were born and raised there to continue to afford living there because a lot of out-of-state money came in and it really propped up those property values. And it, it and, and so we've seen that in North Carolina in, in several places. Um, but North Carolina in general, you're right, it continues to become more and more attractive. It's still a fairly temperate climate, especially in the winter. The summers are getting hot, but it, other than that, it's a temperate climate. Um, and, and, and I think it will continue to be attractive um, for, for retirement retirees. And the areas that they choose to go to they're the ones who, you know, they've invested wisely. And if they're moving, they've got cash to spend on houses and they're going to be the ones who are willing to pay for a product that they want. And it's um, it'll be interesting to see how it impacts other parts of the state moving forward. Yeah. So uh, the second home market or the uh, recreational home market, uh, of course, is also being affected by the higher interest rates. Uh, will this bring down uh, the cost of those looking at homes on the coast as far as the total payment, the total cost of maintaining a second home? You you know, yes. I mean, it, it is going to have some impact. Now, unless we go into a really major recession, I mean, people with money, can can spend money and they can refinance a home after a few years and just wait for interest rates to drop and those types of things. So it will have an impact. You can't say that it won't, but I don't think it's going to stop those markets completely. Well, we're talking about uh, the cost of construction. And of course, that is very much affected by inflation. Uh, do you have an average costs for a new home as far as cost per foot that is a rule of thumb that is being used now by most people as far as how much it costs to build a new home? Well, I mean, that's going to vary everywhere in, you know, in every little area of North Carolina that you're in. I mean, we're, you know, $120 a square foot, you know, it's, you're seeing that in some places I've been in the mountains, some places where they're saying it's $300 a square foot. So it's, or higher. And, and so that's going to really vary just from where you're standing and where you're asking that question. It's all over the place. But the main lesson is, is that everywhere, um, the, the inflation and the cost of building has made housing less affordable in each place that it's being built. 
So, I mean, you may still be able to build in down in my area a $300,000 home that up in Raleigh is going to be a $600,000 home, but $300,000 is just as unaffordable to the people who earn money here as a $600,000 home would be in Raleigh. And so um, that's one of the reasons we are seeing people who are willing to drive if they can work away from the cities, then, um, then they're willing to drive there. And, and move outside of those areas for that affordability, but the other people will just stay and figure it out. Well, one of the concerns I, I hear often is the fact that in, in the major cities where uh, housing costs are going up so rapidly, um, that uh, many of the service workers, like uh, the police officers who service, the uh, fire workers, the uh, uh, school teachers, and so forth, are finding it difficult to live in the city that they work in. Mm -hmm. um, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And it's a really a point of contention when you're living in a city and you have people who are saying, not in my backyard, I don't want you doing infill. I don't want you doing concentrated building. But let's say, because you're very right, it's a strong point you've hit on. If your if your workforce cannot afford to live there, and this happened years ago in Chapel Hill, let's say you have an ice or a freezing storm come in, it shuts down an entire city, and all of your emergency workers live outside of that city and they can't get in to help the people who live there, you're in a lot of trouble. You have got to have housing inside of metropolitan areas where your first responders can afford to live. And if they can't, you've got a problem. It may not be today, but one day you will have a problem. Um, and and it, you, it really needs to be figured out. It's got to be figured out. And there are creative ways people are doing it. We're seeing things around the state. We see, on one thing, we see um, industries and corporations that are now building and providing housing for their workers. We see uh, parking garages that are being turned into condominiums. We see strip malls and and mall different types of shopping mall areas that are being turned into housing in areas. But then there's also just some stuff of obsolete housing that's going to need to be brought down and density is going to have to be built in metropolitan areas. We can't just keep chewing up countryside and going further and further out. We actually need some affordable housing within the municipalities where the services are being provided. That's That was a great, yeah, great comment, Don. You know, of course, I, I live in Raleigh, and we are seeing a huge surge of, of return to the downtown area, especially with apartments and condominiums and so forth. Is this trend going on? Uh, other places other than, say, Charlotte and Raleigh and Greensboro? Are you seeing uh, this in the smaller towns as well? Well, what I will say is for the first time in in since I've been in real estate, now I've only been in it for 20 years. My father was in it for another you know 15 years before me. So since my two generations have been in it, this is the first time where we're actually seeing appreciation on value of condos or townhouses. In, in our market, significant appreciation. And, and so normally those have been properties you would buy and then you would just use them as an investment property for decades and then just sell them inexpensively to other investors. And, and, and that has shifted. Are we seeing a lot more building of townhouses and condominiums? No, not like you're seeing in the big metropolitan areas. 
A lot of that has to do, though, with we don't want it here. We understand we need it, but we don't want it here. Well, they don't need it out in the country. You know, they don't, they don't need it out by the, by the tobacco and the corn farms outside of the city. They need it in the city. So it's, it's, it's the same and, and everywhere around the country is dealing with this and challenged with it. It's, it's not an easy solution. A lot of uh, concern for a while uh, surrounded the idea of paying both city and county tax. I don't seem to hear that quite as often as I did because uh, the advantages of paying city taxes sometimes makes it worth paying it. Uh, what do you see? Yeah, I, I think that people have choices and, and people, um, I, I don't hear that as being the number one driver. I mean, you're right. 15 years ago, when I would pick up buyers, they're like, we don't want to live in the city because we don't want to pay the taxes. We want to live in the counties. Um, you don't have people say that anymore. You're right. You just you just don't have people say that. Um, you know, if they're living in the county, they do want to know what they're not getting versus you know, versus the opposite way of, well, if we're going to pay city taxes, what are we getting? There seems just to be a better understanding of services. And especially when you come into an area like ours, where the counties are dealing with all kinds of water quality issues and, and you know, um, sewer and septic issues and those types of things. I think there have been enough stories out there in the news that the consumer's a little bit more educated that there's pros and cons either way. Tax rates are interesting because there's two factors involved. One is the evaluation, and then there's the tax rate. How do you deal with that from, from county to county where one county may have a high tax rate but a low evaluation? How do you, uh, as a realtor, uh, try to make some sort of sense out of that? Uh, well, it's even tougher now because so many, since since all these high appreciation has happened in the last two years, a lot of counties are coming up for reevaluation. So there's even a third thing to throw in there, like what you're paying now won't be what you're you know necessarily paying in a, a year from now. Um, it is always an interesting conversation as you go county by county because you're right. And it really just becomes breaking it down. You know, where are you going to work? If you're working in the county that has the lower tax rate or and the lower evaluation, then then house yourself there. It makes sense. But if you're going to start commuting, if you're going to start, you know, driving in into work from a rural setting into another county and you think it's saving you money, let's just let, let's just take a step back and really have a conversation about that so you can make the best choice for your family. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Let's make sure you have all the information. Don't scare, don't get scared off of a tax rate until you figure out all the other costs that are involved. How many how do you handle questions about the quality of the school system in the area that uh prospects are looking at because with children, I'm sure that is a major concern. What kind of educational opportunities are there for my children? You know, I think it's really important that parents educate themselves on those school systems and figure it out. After all the years that I've been in real estate, I know that when a parent calls a school a good school or asks what a good school is, it means something different to every parent. Sometimes it's a safety issue. Sometimes it's a specific course offering like foreign languages in elementary school. Sometimes it just has to do with what the test scores are. And sometimes it has to do with size of classrooms and those types of things. So it's really about making sure, you know, the parents just have access to the information and they educate themselves well. 
got about 30 seconds left in this segment. So when you're dealing with a prospective homeowner, uh, let's say a, a first-time homeowner, what is the number one thing that they're most concerned about? A first-time homebuyer? Yeah. Being able to qualify and find a property. Those are the those are the big things initially right now is can we find what we're looking for and can we afford it? Interesting. Our guest is Wendy Harris. She is now the past president of the North Carolina Association of Realtors. We've got one final segment and I wanted to save that final segment for discussion about mortgages and mortgage rates and what the mortgage market is these days. Uh, and we've talked about all the other sorts of things that lead up to that. We've saved that for the last segment, and we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but... I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week. Our weekly topic this week has to do with the, the housing market in North Carolina, and we have turned to our uh, now friend Wendy Harris, who is the now pre past president of the North Carolina Association of Realtors, representing some 57,000 real estate professor, uh, professionals in the state of North Carolina. And as we said when we ended the last segment, we wanted to talk about mortgage rates and uh, mortgage plans and how people are dealing with the rising mortgage rates. Uh, we had a very low situation of, of bargain rates, I guess, for such a long time that we got accustomed to it. How are people adjusting to that and what can they expect in, in the far form of, uh, say, creative planning as far as getting financing for new homes? So I think, first of all, uh, you know, I, I always like when people get really, really worried about a 7% interest rate, I, I do like to just remind them that in the 1980s, real estate didn't stop and interest rates reached 17%, you know, and, you know, around that mark. Um, and, and so, like you said, we got used to unusually low interest rates, which it, it lasted a lot longer than anybody ever thought they were. 
And now we're back to sort of what is more or less was typical before then, which is that six, seven percent range. Um, I think in the first quarter of this year, provided inflation doesn't kick off again, we'll be settling around six percent in this in this first quarter this year. That's what the indicators are and the reports I'm seeing are saying. And it just means people have to just plan and be aware of what's going on. I also think we're going to see things. I got a little birdie that whispered in my ear this morning that I think we'll see some other products coming down from the federal level that um, help give um, opportunities and loans um, to people in situations that may not have been available before for specific uses and stuff like that. Um, there are a lot of products out there on the market that aren't just your standard uh, government-backed loans right now. Because of the real estate market and what's happened over the last few years, we've got a lot of private lending options that are out there. A lot of these variable rates, a lot of these uh, balloon payment things showing up again, you know, just lots of different things that are out there. So to buyers, I just say, do your research, ask lots of questions, don't just speak to one person about it, and, and just make sure, you know, you, you're you making the best choices because it's not what it was where pretty much everyone's offering, you know, you three or four options everywhere you go. Well, I suspect in many cases, people are looking at what is their monthly payment. And in that case, I guess in many cases, they're looking at just stretching out the term of the loan as the number one way of bringing in the affordability issue. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that is really good. We have seen some lengthening of some loans beyond the 30 year that we're used to. Um, that could be an option. I don't know that that'll be a long-term trend or not, but it might be a product that's around for a while. So certainly that's something to look at. Um, you know, there's also just um, lower, uh, a lot of a lot of lending when you go get a mortgage, they're actually figuring out the mortgage with you buying down interest rates right at the very beginning. And buyers aren't really necessarily understanding that they have options. I think um, in some ways, mortgage companies want you to buy down the interest rate so that when interest rates drop, you're not just refinancing right away, right? And, and so yeah. that's one of the things that I'm speaking to buyers is I was like, pay attention to what's actually happening. What is the actual interest rate? What are you buying down? And how does that impact you if you would have an opportunity to refinance in two or three years? Um, you know, <laughs> Make sure you're thinking it through. Well, of course, that was a huge trend there for a long, a long time. As interest rates went down, uh, almost everybody was refinancing. That's and, right. Uh, so uh, I guess the mortgage companies have sort of learned from that. And maybe they, as you say, don't want that to happen again and will try to be more creative on their end to keep that from happening. It does make um, it more, it does make it less affordable though for the buyer when you're having to bring that much more cash to the closing table. And that's the problem with that is, is when we're dealing with the difficulty in affordability and you're saying, okay, now we need another $10,000 to buy down the interest rate. It's, you know, so you've just got to really have your eyes wide open with it. So what can a person look at as far as a percentage of, of the cost of a new home as far as financing? 80%? Is that a good factor or is that 
who, you know, most buyers are not putting down 20%. So with all the different loan products out there, we've actually seen a real increase in that FHA loan, which is, you know, so you're looking at a lot of buyers putting down anywhere from zero to 10%. And, and that can still be difficult for a lot of buyers. One of the trends that we've seen that's really changed over the last couple of years is buyers getting gifts from family members for down payments on properties because of it. But, um, but yeah, we, we've, we've seen a lot more conventional loans than we've seen in the past, but we're also not necessarily seeing the 20% down on them. Another thing I guess we didn't talk about, I'm changing the subject when you hear it. Uh, a lot of people, when they reach 65 and uh, they're suddenly faced with their children uh, being out of the home and even grandchildren out of the home, uh, the term downsizing is, uh, I guess that's a, that's a whole new factor. Uh, yeah. That market is going to get bigger because there are going to be more and more people in that age group. That market would be extremely vibrant right now if the housing stock were available, but there's no houses for those people to move into. There is a there is a pent up demand for not only buying, but also for sellers who want to sell and want to downsize, but there's not a product for them to buy. And so they're not moving. A lot of yeah. homeowners who want to move are not moving because they just can't get into what they want. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've run into several people who said, boy, I sold my house for a lot of money. But unfortunately, I found out buying something was also at an inflated price. Mm -hmm. That's right. So there's not much to gain by looking at that. Uh, I guess that's uh, that's a matter of timing. Being on the, uh, as uh, one person said one time, being on the cutting edge of technology is, or any change for that matter, is important depending on which end of the knife you're holding. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're not finding a lot of sellers who are just selling without already having a house lined up somewhere else. Um, it's it's a very different it's a very different world right now. One of the well, good things I will say, uh, I will say one of the good things is we had this huge onslaught of iBuyers show up in North Carolina and our major, you know, metropolitans. And they were just these corporate investors, iBuyers that were buying all of this real estate in inventory. And with the change that's happened over the last six months or over the last six to nine months, a lot of that has stopped. I mean, a lot of the iBuyer organizations and groups have really taken a, a heavy hit on the speculation. And so I don't know what they're going to do with all their inventory. That remains to be seen. Um, but at least that slowed down. I mean, I, I'm no longer getting 30 postcards a week at all of my house, you know, at my house and my office saying, do you want to sell your house? We'd like to buy it. The text messages have slowed down. I haven't gotten a text message in two months that said, hey, would you like to sell your house? Well, you know, that's, uh, that, that, uh, that's uh, I guess, uh, when you've got 57,000 realtors out looking for a way to make a living, that uh, won't totally stop because uh, they've got to generate some business somewhere. That's exactly um, right. True. <laughs> um, raw land in North Carolina. Uh, I know that this is not a part of the housing market yet, but as people look at the expanding into the suburbs and the out of state areas, uh, out of uh, metropolitan areas, uh, what is the market for raw land now? 
in North Carolina. So raw land is attractive. People are buying it. I will caution just to say, well, first of all, one of the things that's so beautiful about this state, in my opinion, is our land. So I'd hate for all of it to disappear all of a sudden. Uh, We're not at real risk of that happening. But the thing that I would really like to caution on is what it costs to develop raw land is so expensive that it is not necessarily an answer to our housing issues that we have, our shortage of housing. Just like we spoke about in an earlier segment, the cost to run sewer, to run water, to run power, to pave the roads, to get the intersections in there, to get services out to their fire, uh, I mean, yeah, like uh, fire departments, emergency departments. I mean, all of those have to be expanded to reach into new undeveloped areas, emergency services, all that kind of stuff. The cost of developing raw land is so expensive. If we're going to solve the housing crisis, we're going to have to look inward. We really are. We're going to have to do it. It'll be the quickest, easiest, and least costly way to do it. Well, we've got about uh, two minutes left. Uh, So uh, if you were to wrap up, Everything we've talked about, what should the North Carolina consumer, the average consumer, be concerned about and what headlines should they watch to sort of keep up with what's happening in the whole area of housing for the year 2023? So I think if we're speaking to the average consumer, then we're talking to the potential buyers that are out there on the market. I think they need to go ahead and start looking for houses now, knowing that interest rates are probably going to settle down in the next couple of months. Just start developing the relationships with their, uh, you know, with their realtors or their representatives so that they know what's coming on the market and when it's going to be there. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just if you want to be a buyer and you just stepped back because of the high interest rates, they're going to be settling into a reasonable place in the next few months. And so I think now's the time to get back into that market if you plan to get in it at all in the next couple of years. Um, So I think I would advise them to do that. From the seller perspective, I would caution that if you are an owner who's looking to sell a property that you're living in, you still need to be very, very careful. Do not sell your property until you already have another one to live in, or you might just find yourself homeless or moving back in with family or something along those lines. And investors, if you've got houses that need to be sold, Really think about, you know, the potential that those homes have, whether they're best suited for additional rental properties or for um, primary uh, occupancy. Wonderful. That's a great summary. And you've left me just enough time to remind people that if you happen to be listening to a station that carries the half hour version of this program, there are two segments that you've missed and you can go online to Carolina Newsmakers and pick up those two segments. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, or hear it yourself, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. Thank you, Wendy, for being with us, and we look forward to having you back on again soon. And Jason, thank you for producing the program, and Jason Kong will have another interesting guest for us again next week on this same group of stations. So until next week, same time, same station, all across North Carolina, we hope that you will have a great weekend. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.